Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 440 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I'm here with my partner in crime, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of many, many books, but her latest one is The Wolf's Howl. How are you, Al? Right. Well, that was a deep breath, wasn't it? I had to think about that. Um, I'm, look, I'm fair to middling. I, I, I can't okay. lie. Like, I, I'd like to be able to tell you I was amazing, fantastic, superb, <laughs> stupendous, okay. but I'm not. I'm fair to middling. Um, okay. Pretty much like the rest of the state, really. <laughs> just... Well, yes, but you can feel the anticipation building, can't you, Al? Yeah, because, like, we've can. got a roadmap out of lockdown and all of that. We're both live in New South Wales and we know that other states are experiencing different things. But yes. you can feel the anticipation. I think so, yeah. And that's that's excellent. I'm looking forward to summer. I think it's going to be great. Yes. Um, and in the meantime, I am just, you know, trying to get on with things. I'm doing my edit. I'm, you know, just getting on with stuff. School's back. So we're back into remote learning and, you know, trying oh, to yeah. get my 14-year-old to remember to log in every day and just... Mm. And the never-ending HSC just drifts endlessly onwards. So, oh my goodness, yep, that's How where are you we gonna, are. Like, you won't know yourself next year when you don't have an HSC to contend with. Oh, look, I don't know. I, to be honest, that that it looks like a, that's a far and distant horizon right now. <laughs> and to be honest with you, it's the kind of far and distant horizon that just keeps getting further and further away rather than closer. So, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Well, it'll be a whole new world next year because it'll be, um, you know, I've got. Uh, and I'll I'll have an adult child as opposed yeah. to a you know um, under 18s and I'll have you know he's got plans and his things he's wanting to do and um yeah so I I don't know to be honest with you it's a it's an interesting point to be in but in the meantime I've still got book boy junior to drag out of bed every day so mm. I'll be I'll be all right I'll <laughs> <laughs> it'll be situation normal <laughs> there is light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> yeah there is there is all right um, shall we move on to the yeah. world of writing and publishing then Let's- all right. Well, very, very excited because uh, HarperCollins has announced the winner of the 2021 Banjo Prize, which is a fantastic prize to not only be involved in, not only to be shortlisted with, but of course to win. And for the second year in a row, it's been won by a graduate of the Australian Writer Centre. So very, very excited Woo-hoo! about that. And that means it's Veronica Lando. So she has done multiple courses at uh, the Australian Writers' Centre and she's the winner of the 2021 Banjo Prize. Congratulations, Veronica. Well done, Veronica. Big shout out to you. Big, big shout out. And also one of the uh, shortlisted authors, Michelle Upton, is a Furious Fiction super fan. Oh, and we do love the Furious Fiction super fans, don't we? Yes. So what that is, if for those of you who don't know what Furious Fiction is, and it's a great thing to participate in um, and it's a really good way to flex your writing muscle, is that on the first Friday of every month at 5pm, <laughs> you get a set of, uh, pr- not clues, but parameters, and you need to then use those parameters to write a short, short story of 500 words. You have 55 hours to to write it and um you could win $500 and that happens on the first Friday of every month. And so Michelle Upton is a very regular enterer 
Entrant. <laughs> Interra. <laughs> Interra. Yeah. Right, yeah. We're really good with our words here. Yes, yes. Uh, so you Ent- want to be a writer? <laughs> Entrant, and that's why she is a furious fiction super fan, but it obviously pays off because she's one of the shortlisted authors of the Banjo Prize. So yippee to both Veronica and Michelle, I reckon. Yippee. Now, we just want to also shout out <laughs> the enthusiasm that you yeah. <laughs> Well done. See, that's not fair to middling. Uh, we also want to shout out our sister podcast. In case you didn't know, we have a sister podcast. And yeah, and it's a um, sister podcast. Yeah, it's a, it's a cracker. <clears throat> yeah. It's called So You Want to Be a Copywriter, and it's very, very specific to those people who want to carve out a career in copywriting and content writing. Uh, And uh, there's a lot of uh, interviews with other copywriters who've already made it and what they've done to actually build their copywriting businesses. And the the most recent episode is actually about how to build your own copywriting business. And it's it's hosted by Bernadette Schwert, who is uh, one of our fantastic copywriting tutors at the Australian Writers' Centre. And she is, oh, fantastic. She's just a copywriting guru. She's well known in the industry and she has worked for some of the biggest names um, in Australia and also global brands. And she's the host of So You Want to Be a Copywriter and she really goes deep into very, very practical stuff that's very specific to the world of copywriting because, you know, we focus on a slightly broader, um, more fiction-related and non-fiction as well, but we don't touch on copywriting as much. So there is a whole separate podcast because it's a whole separate set of rules. It's yeah, a whole it's a separate, whole separate world. part of the industry. It is. Mm. And the reason that, um, you know, we wanted to talk about it today in particular was this episode 21 uh, that Bernadette has uh, put up, the most recent episode. Um, the fact that it's about setting up, structuring and launching yourself, you know, as a, as a new copywriter in your new copywriting business, I think it's really worth a listen because one of the things that I think people struggle with, with copywriting is yes, you know how to write the words, like you're probably great with words, you know, you you don't think about coming into copywriting unless, you know, you've kind of got that interest in it. It's, you know, generally speaking, I mean, there's different forms of it, but, you know, generally speaking, you, 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 you've got to be able to condense an idea into a, into a short pithy sort of an uh, um, statement or, uh, you know, um, phrase or whatever. Um, Mm. And she, uh, but it's difficult to know how to break in. It's difficult Mm. to know how to take that, that sort of uh, word smithery, and there's another Mm. new word for you, um, (laughs) and turn it into a business because, you know, one thing I learned over the years as a freelancer and I did work as a copywriter as well is that knowing how to put a sentence together doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to have a business and it is a business and you need to be able to pitch your business and you need to be able to run your business and you need to be able to, you know, to make sure that you're charging yourself out at the right right amount and you need to be able to you know, structure the invoicing and you, you, you just have mm. to know how to do all those things as well. And you can learn how to do that, you know, piecemeal like I did and make a whole range of mistakes <laughs> or you can listen to someone like Bernadette, you know, in this uh, in this podcast and, you know, you can do a course, you know, which is going to just make sure that you're going in knowing the rules because the rules yeah. are not necessarily immediately obvious from the outside and that's something that um, – because people who are great with words um, need to also learn all of the other things that go with those words. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of the most valuable things is on how to deal with clients. And I don't mean about being nice to them and being polite to them and stuff like that. I mean, having some kind of structure in the way that you deal with them so that mm. there's no arguments, there's no, mm. you know, everyone, everything's very clear on what their expectations are, what your expectations are. And there is a way to do that. But so many people, um, you know, uh, so many writers don't necessarily know that way because they haven't been taught. And that is an essential part of building a copywriting business where people are going to come back to you again and again. It is. And having those boundaries, that's uh, the thing that I struggle with so badly when I first started out was, you know, and people would just keep coming back to you and back to you and I just need you to, and I just need you to do this and I just need you to do that. And before you know it, you've done like twice as much work for the hourly rate that you offered. Um, You're not getting paid for twice as much work and you really Mm -hmm. need to be, um, learn how to be firm with managing, as you say, expectations and knowing when to step in and say, yes, I can do that, but it is going to be an extra this much on top yes. of the quote that I that I um, gave you in the first place. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And you just need to be able to be given the tools and structure to do that with confidence yep. as opposed to having an awkward, you know, feeling that it's going to be an awkward conversation. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. So let's move on. We have a big announcement because we have a fantastic new course coming soon. I'm so excited. And it's about romance writing Ooh. because- Romance writing is, well, romance is the the biggest selling genre in fiction, hands down. You know, it's it's yep. so popular and there's so many subgenres as well, which is, you know, absolutely fascinating to delve into. Many people think that it's an easy thing to write, but in fact, there are so many key elements that go into a successful romance novel and many writers don't know what they are until they really dig into it. So this course is going to take you through the popular genres and subgenres, giving you the tools to create stories that you know, readers are going to love and hopefully come back and buy your books again and again because the successful romance writers out there, they re- they're just releasing books all the time, aren't they? And they they develop a loyal group of readers, base of readers who just devour all of their titles. So we'll also, the course will also talk about the best publishing path because there's so many different um, imprints. There's so many different options for you. Uh, so register your interest today because if, if you, if and only if you register your interest, you will receive a special launch offer as soon as it's available. And that's the only time that that offer is going to um be available to people. So head over to writercenter.com.au slash romance and just register your interest. You'll get an email with the special offer when it's um when it's out, which is going to be soon. So that's writercenter.com.au slash romance. All right, let us move on. You've been to the Romance Writers Festival? So is it is it the is it conference? Conference. Yes. Yeah, I have. Or years ago. I haven't been for, for many years now, but I actually went to several um, when I first started out with fiction writing because I was writing romance at the time. And um, mm. it was a really um, it's a great organisation and it was an extremely useful conference, like really mm. useful. Um, you know, not only did I meet two of my best ever writing buddies at, um, at you know, several, at two different um, 
gosh, I can't even speak. Two different conferences. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I just learned a lot. I learned a lot about about the publishing industry in general, not just romance. It was mm. it was a really eye-opening experience for me and it was great. And I wholly recommend it if you are someone who um, is interested in writing romance because I think you need to meet other people who are also doing it. You learn a lot from the other people that you meet. Mm, absolutely. Mm. All right, let's move on to our giveaway this week. We have three copies of The Prince of the Skies by Antonio, and I may pronounce this incorrectly, Iturbe, I-T-E, sorry, I-T-U-R-B-E. So The Prince of the Skies by Antonio Iturbe from the best-selling author of The Librarian of Auschwitz comes a captivating historical novel based on a true story, the extraordinary life and mysterious death of Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, author of The Little Prince. All Antoine de Saint-Exupéry wants to do is to be a pilot, but flying is a dangerous dream and one that sets him at odds with his aristocratic background and the woman he loves. Together with his friends, Jean and Henri, he will pioneer new mail routes across the globe and help change the future of aviation. Antoine also begins to weave a children's story that is destined to touch the lives of millions of readers around the world a story called The Little Prince. But as the shadow of war begins to threaten Europe, he's left to wonder whether his greatest adventure is yet to come. So go to writercentercomau slash win and you could win one of three copies of The Prince of the Skies. Entries close on the 11th of October. So writercentercomau slash win and just follow the instructions and you could win one of these fabulous books. Uh, now, Al, <laughs> are you ready for the word of the week? Uh, you know, yes. Okay, I am. Okay. Hallux, H-A-L-L-U-X, Hallux. Do you know what it means? No. Okay. The dictionary definition is the innermost of the five digits normally present in the hind foot of air-breathing vertebrates. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So basically in humans it's your big toe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I am astonished and astounded and falling in a heap at the wonder of it all. (laughs) So be careful though. The plural of hallux is not halluxes. It's halluxes. Halluxes. That's H A. So hallux is H-A-L-L-U-X, but the plural is H-A-L-L-U-C-E-S. So most okay. people have two halluses, but mm-hmm. some people have one hallux and some people have some have none. And some people who are hallucinating might have 17 halluses. <laughs> oh, you, you, you're just like, now you're just getting silly, Valerie. This is just getting sillier and sillier and sillier every week. I, I demand. joke. I demand that, yeah, no, that was just terrible. I just demand that next week's be more sensible, all right? Okay. Yeah. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, 
from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murdercourse. All right, so shall we move on to our writer in residence this week? I think we should. We are chatting to Kyle Perry, who... Oh, he get, got so successful with his debut uh, novel, The Bluffs, and this is his second novel, The Deep. And I had a great time chatting to Kyle, who normally is a drug and alcohol counsellor, but also now writes these fantastic thrillers. Anyway, he can tell you all about it. Let's have a chat with Kyle Perry. Hi, Kyle. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Valerie. It's so good to be here. Now, congratulations on The Deep. For those listeners who haven't got a copy yet, can you tell us what it's about? (laughs) Yeah, so The Deep is about, it's centred around a crime family on the east coast of Tasmania. And it's essentially about a guy called Mac who is the youngest son of the family. He's a bit of an outcast. He gets bullied a bit by the rest of the family and he's just did a stint in prison and now he's trying to rehabilitate. He's trying to get back on track. He's got some pretty strict bail conditions. Um, It's pretty hard for him to rehabilitate at the moment. And then where the story kicks off is his nephew, Forrest, who has been missing for seven years, washes up on the shore. Um, Forrest is actually the heir to the whole criminal dynasty, the criminal family. So what kicks off after that is a whole lot of questions about where Forrest has been for the last seven years, about what it means for Mac, what it means for the rest of the family. And then the stakes keep getting higher and higher as other drug players start moving in on the town. Mm. Now, it's set on the east coast of Tasmania, and if you actually believe fiction and uh, television shows and movies like yeah. um, Bruni and The Kettering Incident and The Hunter and yeah. uh, uh, the, the Tailings, you would think that Tasmania is one of the most crime-filled, action-packed, scary, spooky places in the world. But I've been to Tasmania my partner's from Tasmania, <laughs> and I do not believe this to be true. Why do you think the setting of Tasmania lends itself to so many of these fantastical stories? Well, I mean, there's a few things in that, and one response I can give is is from my background as a drug and alcohol worker, mm-hmm. which means I work with... I work with this world, so I work with you know the the dark side of what goes on, I guess under our noses in society in the city. So for me, when I look at Tasmania, I'm pretty aware of some of the stuff that's going on. So to me, I it's I struggle sometimes now to look at Tasmania as this idyllic island paradise, just because I know a little bit about what's going on. Wow, but. So, so like, I get like when you come down here, or I mean, you know, the average Joe on the street, yeah, for sure, Tasmania is the best place on earth. It's paradise. But I guess once you've seen behind the curtain. But the other thing about um, Tasmania is, is we talk about this thing called Tasmanian Gothic. Yes. And and Gothic itself kind of implies isolation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about gothic, it's kind of yeah, it's 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 apart, it's isolated, it's a bit remote. And Tasmania, for a lot of years, was really remote. It was very hard to get here. You know, when the only way to get here was by a boat, and we've got really treacherous oceans. I mean, the Bass Strait is an absolutely treacherous, you know, body of water. Mm-hmm. We've got wild weather. So Tasmania, as a concept, like in you know the Australian psyche, was pretty. It was pretty gothic in in its remoteness let alone the fact that all the convicts got sent down here. So mm. there's a few different things coming in there to, to lend to this this bit of a dark, gritty nature to it. And then we add in the fact that there's like, oh, I can't remember if it's one-third or two-thirds of the whole island is is national parks. So mm. a big bunch of this place, you can't even, you know, it's, it's untouched. Mm. And so let's uh, um, talk a little bit more about your background so that we give listeners some context. You've mentioned that you have a background as a drug and alcohol counsellor. Prior to the D, you had the bluffs. Uh, When did you decide you wanted to write novels? And how did that fit into the whole drug and alcohol (laughs) counselling part of your life? (laughs) So I knew I wanted to write novels since I was a little kid and I remember – Ever since I can remember, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write stories. I wanted to write books. And then the older you get, like through primary school, you get a bit more of a worldview and, and you realize, you know, eventually I'm going to have to engage with society. I'm going to have to find a career. And I decided I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't tell anyone about it until grade six when I sent an email off to Tamara Pierce, the, um, the fantasy writer, and I said to her, I want to be a writer. And she replied, and she's like, yeah, I think you can do it. And so I remember that <laughs> being a moment I can latch on to. But in, uh, when I was 16, I sat down to write my first novel, um, my first, well, a novel-length manuscript, which was actually a young adult urban fantasy novel. Mm. It, wasn't, uh, it wasn't crime fiction at all. And that was the first go I had at it, and then um, I sent it off to try and get it you know, trying to get some interest from publishers or agents, didn't get anything. So the next year I sat down and I wrote another one. Mm. And the next year I wrote another one. And so for the next yeah. 10 years, I wrote 10 novel length manuscripts, <gasps> all of them, all of them in the, uh, in the young adult fantasy genre. And during that time, I spent a lot of hours driving listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. <laughs> so it's pretty it's I've been looking forward to this. This is awesome to be having a chat with you. Um, oh, that's awesome. You so that was your apprenticeship uh when you wrote a novel, a manuscript a year. That's incredible. Now, what broke through with the bluffs? So what broke through with the bluffs is it's a what happened is my most recent manuscript was really good and I got really, really close with this New York City agent. Um, and he wanted me to do a revise and resubmit. And so a lot of your listeners who are trying to get published are aware that a, a revise and resubmit is where an agent basically says, um, you know, if you change this and this, send it back to me I'll have, and I'll have another look. Yeah. And that's like silver. You know, it's not gold, yeah. but it's silver. <laughs> like it's, it's massive. It's like a one in 1,000 chance. He asked for a revise and resubmit. I sent it back to him. Um, he replied and said, ah, not quite, but show me something else you've got. Mm-hmm. So I then reached out on a Facebook page. I think it's National Young Writers of Australia. And I said, guys, 
Um, at this stage, I just finished my degree in counselling and coaching. Um, I because I'd gone to uni because I recognised that the writing thing clearly wasn't <laughs> going to happen just yet. And I enjoy, I'm a people person, so I enjoyed it. But I, I was working in high schools, and I finally had money, pretty good money. So I reached out on this Facebook page, and I said, "Okay, can someone recommend to me um, an editor?" who can look at my work and tell me what I'm doing wrong. I just want to mm. throw some money at this. I'm 10 books in. I'm, I'm getting a little bit burned out. And so someone recommended the lady who would become my agent, Haley Nash. Mm. And so I contacted Haley and I said, this is my story. This is what I've been doing. This is the response from this agent. And she replied and she said, look, before I help you spend your money, maybe you should try writing in a different genre. Maybe 10 years in this you know, maybe you just need a break. Maybe you need to try something different. And initially, I was very resistant to that, as you can imagine. Mm. And I was like, I was like, no, what are, you don't know what you're talking about. I've been doing this for so long. This is my passion. <laughs> but I slept on it. And the next day, I emailed her and I said, okay, change of plans. Can I hire you for a phone call? And let's do like a, just a conversation where you can help me kind of feel through my blind spots work out what I'm doing and maybe help me just identify some other ways to explore my creativity. And part of the reason I wanted to do this is because my degrees in coaching, I recognize the value of coaching and mm. I thought, all right, <laughs> let's just see what happens. Mm. And I was during this conversation with her that she said, all right, what have you read recently that you've enjoyed? That's not YA fantasy. And I said, well, I just finished the drive by Jane Harper uh -huh. and I absolutely loved it. And she said, that's great. Do you like, you know, crime books. I said, I love crime books. I love, as, as a kid, like I loved like the um, like Team Power Inc. by Emily Rodder. I loved mm -hmm. the mystery stories. I mean, Harry Potter's a mystery story at its core. Mm -hmm. I loved crime shows. And at that time, I was working in, a, uh, in high schools with disengaged youth, which had a pretty big criminal element to it. Mm -hmm. And so she said, well, why don't you try writing a crime novel? You know, sit there in Tassie. And I said, nah, I can't write for adults. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. And she said, well, you know, it's an option. I said, yeah, look, I might give it a shot. And so I sat down to write the bluffs and I wrote the first draft in three months. It no, straight after that? Yeah, like as soon as I got off the phone call to her, I'm like, all right, let's get into oh this. Oh, my God. But how did you, did you have the idea? Did you have the story? How did that come to you so soon after this magical meeting? Yeah, well, it happened. It happened during the meeting because she said, oh, well, what, what could you write about? And I said, well, I work in high schools and um, I'm working with some teenage girls that I think, you know, I would love to see them disappear. <laughs> 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 no, I was working with the chaos and the lawlessness of teenage um, teenagers full stop. Yeah. But, but I was just kind of telling her a bit about my day job. And then I thought, you know what, this would make a good story. And the, the, the setting came to me naturally as soon as we kind of talked about it. I thought, well, you know, Picnic and Hanging Rock had a big effect on me as a kid. So it, just, it all just came together. together. It, was just, it just came together in this, this crazy moment. And I think, I mean, she was bang on the money. My creativity was it did need a rest from the YA fantasy. Um, mm. My heart needed a rest. My brain needed a rest. And for me, the bluffs was that magic moment. 
Wow. Okay. So you have this premise. You know that it's you know it's kind of inspired by the lawlessness <laughs> of teenagers, but obviously a really g- gripping um, crime novel needs to have a plot and structure. How did you know what was going to happen? Did you know what was going to happen, or did you just let it s- happen on the page? No, I am one hundred percent a pantser. I, oh my um, god! I sit down. I just start writing. I shoot from the hip. Um, but I, the other thing I do have as a skill, I think is I'm really good at taking, um, on feedback. Mm-hmm. So the first draft I wrote of the bluffs, I sent it off to, um, to Haley. And honestly, I, it's pretty unrecognizable from the version of the bluffs we have today. Like it was, there was like scenes with machetes in caves and there was like, it was a bit of a B grade thriller, but, <laughs> but the core of it was there. And so I sat down, blurted it all onto the page, got some feedback, and, and what I found through my whole writing journey actually is the only time I've ever been able to to get any better, to improve, is when I've had feedback. Mm. So I sent off this draft, got the feedback. Um, from that, was able to then tailor it a bit further. And during this whole time, I was very lucky to be working in the high school environment. So there was constant kind of um, ideas and stimulus coming across my path every day too. So every time something would happen, I'd just weave it into the, the manuscript <laughs> that I had going on the side. And um, just, again, luckily I had such an awesome agent because Haley then became my agent, mm. um, agent, editor, um, publisher, the whole team being a random house. Like everyone helped me turn, you know, this this um, big offload onto the page into, you know, the, the great story we have today. So you write... You write this in three months. At the end, did you kind of go, where did that come from? Like, did you, were you surprised at the outcome, especially since you had not written in that genre for the last 10 years? Yeah, 100%. I was, when I sent it off to Haley, I, 10 years of rejections primes <laughs> you to expect a rejection. Yeah. So I sent it off to Haley, expecting her to say, oh, this needs a lot of work. But yeah. she replied, and within like three days, and she said, Kyle, I am floored by what you managed to achieve in just three months. And she kind of went through this little report about how she was gripped, which is so rare for her these days and, you know, all this great stuff. And, and the feeling I had was instantly like, are you sure? (laughs) Like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Don't please don't, 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 don't do this to me. And then the other part of me was just like this sense of those 10 years were worth it. Mm. Like, yeah, it was all worth it for this moment. But when you finished, though, did you know you had produced something good or you actually didn't know? No, no I didn't. Not until I got that reply back. When I got right. that reply back, I'm like, oh, okay, I've got it. It was worth it. We did yeah. it. Now let's keep let's keep honing this book. All right. So it, now we'll, we will come to the deep in a sec, but I just want to um, – talk a little bit more about the three months were you in a full-time job at the time and if so how were you fitting it in so you were producing an entire manuscript in three months I was working four days a week Mm -hmm. so something I've always done with my writing is always try and have a part-time job so I Mm. can write as well because I knew again this is my passion this is all I've ever wanted and um So what I was doing was working at the end of the day and then working on um, that day off. I think it was a Wednesday. And then I was working on weekends as well. But, yeah, I was writing um, every night 
uh, right. For how long? Like, like you'd get home from work. Tell me what you do when you get home <laughs> from work. Oh man, going back. So what? What I do for me writing, for me writing is my flow state. Mm-hmm. So when I'm writing, I'm in the zone, which means like I lose sense of time, I lose sense of place, yes. you know. And so, which is great because it means I'm kind of addicted to it. It means I want to do it. Mm-hmm. So for me, I never had to be particularly disciplined. It wasn't like I had to force myself to the laptop. Um, it was like I get to go to the laptop. I'm so excited I get to go to the laptop. I've got a story that I want to get out. And so I'd get home from work. Um, sometimes straight away, set up my laptop, start typing away in the corner of the lounge room. Um, sometimes I go for a walk and then I'll come back. But I'll always, most days, especially because at that time I was still living with my parents. So, you know, I'd come home, they'd have the TV on, I'd sit in the corner and mum would, would always say like how how incredible it was I could just switch off <laughs> from everyone yes. else, even when there's like conversation. <laughs> um, and something else that, go that for me as a writer is that I struggle to sit in one spot and write. I'm the kind of person who needs to be at cafes or at the beach um, or yeah. in the car. Or, in, so, on your computer? Yeah, or, on my computer. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, terrible handwriting. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it looked like for me. Wow. Okay. So uh, the Bluffs gets released to great success and then you have the deep. So – with the deep, obviously, it being set, you know, having elements of um, a drug dynasty, um, you have you're on the periphery of that, or you're 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 you you know you touch on that world with your job. Did you yeah. have to do extra research and delve further into that world than you would have normally, in order to um, you know get what you needed for the book? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was working in the rehab, um, working with some great colleagues um, who also, some of them had some their own lived experience with drug and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to, to their friends and then I made other friends. And I'd never really moved in these circles before. Mm-hmm. But I, I found a great, a really big heart for for that community, for the people who use drugs and, and all the stuff they go through. But anyway, I made all these great friends and there was a few instances <laughs> where uh, I – one example is I was with my friend and and he's like, okay, I need to go find some green, um, which is cannabis. You know, I want to go find right. some cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so I said, all right. Um, he said, do you want to come with me? And I'm like, uh, I was like, oh. Okay, rightio. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we start walking and then he just jumps. Anyway, he jumps in this random taxi and he says to the taxi driver, oh, we need some green. Where can we go? And the taxi driver apparently knew. Oh. So we just this taxi driver drives us up to this place. It was like a drug dealer, drug den. <laughs> and um, my mate jumps out of the car. I jump out behind him. I'm like, do I come with you? He's like, yeah, bro, it's fine. He walks up to the door, knocks on the door. The the dealer opens the door, absolutely yelling. He's got a bow and arrow in his hand. It's pointed oh. straight at my friend. Oh. <laughs> and so and he's like shouting and like my mate's like, it's cool, brother. It's cool. We're just here for some green. Our taxi driver races off. I don't think we even got to pay him because he took <laughs> off. He was dead. And then my mate goes inside with this guy with the bow and arrow. And I'm like, what is going on here? And so then he brought me up and he said, you know, um, 
that's all right. Like here we are. And the dude was real nice. But what I, what I learned from that was that, you know, if you're going to go see your dealer, you text ahead or if it's not a dealer, you know, you need to let them know. And so. Good tip. (laughs) And this guy, this, this, this drug dealer, he was telling me great stories. He was letting us throw throwing knives at his couch. When we left, he gave us this great big tray of, of honey. And so, is that a euthanism for something? No, no, it's literally honey. It was like native <laughs> honey, <laughs> which okay. I, sure. I have no idea why. But, but I would not have said yes to that. I wouldn't have put myself in, in that form of risk, except mm. that, I mean, first of all, I know these people that at the end of the day, they're just looking for connection. So, you know, I knew really I wasn't in that much danger. But more mm. to the point, I, I, I knew I was writing this book about this world. And, mm. and I want, I wanted my readers to have an authentic experience, which meant that I needed to put myself out there. And so there was a couple other instances. One time, another one of my friends messaged me and he needed me to, needed some support. Um, and I said, well, let me come pick you up. Where are you? And he was actually staying at a house that has very strong affiliations with certain criminal organizations down here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I said, well, I'll come pick you up. And he's like, no, bro, you cannot come here. And then he flipped and he said, actually, yeah, come here. I'll introduce you to everyone. It'll be good. And so part of me, most of me is thinking, I just need to get my friend out of there. But the other part of me is like, okay, are we going to do this, Kyle? Are we going to take this risk? (laughs) Do it for the readers. All right, we're in. (laughs) So I I drove down there. He came out. He walked me through like three levels of security. I'm meeting all these guys, which I've got, I can build a rapport pretty easy with because I'm I'm used to working with people mm-hmm. from that kind of background. They're not all like that, like they're not not all in one bucket, but there are some kind of similarities. And then we go through, and I'm chatting to this one guy, and then the the smart TV's on, and we're like, you know, start sharing funny video, um, yes, mm-hmm. funny YouTube videos. And then I realise he's the president of the entire like <laughs> our oh. organisation. And so it was great. We had a good time. Like we hugged as I left. Uh, you know, they're like, oh, anything you need, let us know. And um, so, yeah, and then I, I took my mate back somewhere else to another safe space. And it just, it was so, it was good. I, I, I don't regret it. I probably, you know, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it to your listeners. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, So you want your book to be, you want your story to have that level of authenticity and obviously you have, like when you were saying um, with the bluffs, you were engaging with, um, you know, the teenagers at school and you would end up incorporating some of the incidences in your book. Presumably you've incorporated some of these incidences, these real life incidences into the deep and if so were you ever concerned oh my goodness these are criminals and they're going to recognize themselves and you know i'm very good at um de-identifying <laughs> for that exact reason <laughs> um i yeah I, I know it's not worth um mm. and also it's a respect thing like they respect me i respect them um and some of them love it they're like yeah they, they trust me to to kind of give this to read to frame it in the right way. Like for example, my main character, Mac, you know, he's um an ex drug dealer, ex drug, you know, who's dependent on drugs. Yeah. Um and you don't often see these characters as the good guys. You don't often see these guys as the heroes. 
and that's something that I also wanted to do with the bluffs. In the bluffs, the main character Murphy is a cannabis dealer, mm-hmm. and so the the community, these guys, um, they they know they know where I stand. They know what my values are, but they also know that if I'm going to write this story, at least I'm going to try and do a, a little bit of justice to what actually goes on. Mm. All right, so. The the bluffs was a bit of an experiment and one that worked out really well. At what point then, how long after that did your agent say, hey, need the second one? And was the deep already forming in your brain or you had not even thought that far ahead? No, no so when so when um when we submitted the bluffs, um, we got an offer within two weeks. Um, so great. A really good offer. Um, she, Ali, my publisher, she flew down to meet me in Hobart wow. and they offered me the two-book deal. Fantastic. But during the conversation, it was, it was like saying, well, Kyle, you know, for, for crime writers, um, it would be great if you could write a book a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and she was so nice. She kind of said, look, Kyle, we believe in you. We, you know, we, we see something on you that we want to support and nourish. So even if it takes to your ninth book before you break out, you know, we're going to back you to your ninth book. Wow. Um, so, so, I mean, oh, man, it's just it's an absolute fairy tale for mm. the bluffs to have taken off. But to answer your yes. question, yes. from that moment I knew I started had to start planning um, mm. a second book. And I luckily – um, something that does come pretty naturally to me is ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, funnily enough, what doesn't come naturally naturally to me is prose, the actual writing craft itself. Um, it does now. Like I'm, I'm pretty. I feel like I can say I'm a pretty good writer now. But there's a reason it took me ten years to get published. Like I'm, I had to work really, really hard. I had to listen to a lot of writing podcasts. I had to get a lot of feedback. I had to read a lot of books just to understand how to write. But the, the ideas for the deep at that moment I was working in the rehab when, when we signed the contract. So instantly I could go through my case notes and be like, this guy's got a good story. Wow. This is a great story. Oh man. You know, this is going to blow people's minds. Mm. Okay. But as you say, you're a pantser, right? So what I understand that you're, you're just seeing what happens. You, you start with the, the, the premise but do you have an inkling of where you're going or anything like that? Yeah. So how how it seems to work for me um, is that I have an idea of how I want it to end. Right. Um, but I don't plan towards it because it always changes. Mm. So when I first wrote The Deep, I wanted to turn a mother's club into an ice syndicate. Um, that, that's that was my main inspiration because one of my clients he gave me this blow by blow account of how to start my own ice syndicate. Like he, <laughs> he, he kind of said, "This is where you get. This is what you need to steal to get your first money. Here's where you'll sell it. Here's where you get your precursor chemicals. Here's how you find a cook. Here's where to find a recipe. Here's how to launder your money." Like he gave me a shopping list. Wow! Thought, but hang on, I, he was volunteering this information because he thought maybe that would be your next step. Yeah, I think they, they just like to flex. They like to show okay. off. And if you get them talking, they won't stop because they don't, sure. you know. And so, but I mean, hey, look, I mean, allegedly maybe. But so, so I wanted to weaponize this with a mother's club. I thought that would be so cool. So when I first sat down to write The Deep, that was my ending in sight. But as those who have read The Deep knows, that doesn't happen at all. 
So that was what I was aiming for, but I, I, gave, I give myself the freedom to, to pivot and turn. But of course, every time I do pivot, I have a new ending in mind. So I'm never like fully blind. I know where I'm going for, but it's just where I'm going for always changes. Yeah. If that makes well, sense. Yes. So when you're writing, you, you've mentioned that you're writing in your com, on your computer in various locations. Do you do anything in terms of um, uh, index cards or do you have any kind of list of scenes, you know, to keep track after you've, after you've written the manuscript so you can edit it? Just, just a bit more insight into your, the nuts and bolts of your process. Nuts and bolts of my process, um, no, the only place I would keep notes, when I wrote The Deep, the only place I kept notes was I'd have just random notes in my phone. Um, or if I had an idea for a chapter, I'd like scroll to the end of the Word document and chuck it in there. But I was always working on the same Word document. So One single I, Word document? Yeah, yeah. So That's I a just, gigantic Word document. <laughs> so I'd scroll, I'd scroll back and forth and... And every time I change something, I'd go back to kind of the start and start to like read from it from the start to make sure it flowed, to make sure it fit. I do not recommend this as a process, by the way. <laughs> I definitely, what, I don't like, I don't have, I just sit down and I just get in the flow and I just see what happens. I just see what shows up, um, yeah, right. which, which doesn't, it's not time smart. And, and what I'm trying to do with book three, because I'm, I'm neck deep in book three, mm. is I tried desperately to plot it. I, I, I bought plotting books. I bought index cards. Oh. I've, I got like four cork boards to, you know, have my four acts. Um, I've got behind, like on, on the wall in my, in my place, I've got sticky notes. But I look at it all now and none of it is actually relevant to the book I'm now writing. And this, this is just what happens for me is I, I can make these plans and yes. come up with these great ideas. But the moment I start to write it, it just becomes something else and it just kind of feels a bit like a waste of time doing any form of body. So I'm interested to know why because you've had two books, two fabulous books that have worked on pantsing. Why in book three have you decided, oh, I think I'll try plotting now? <laughs> because of the time thing. I'm running, <laughs> like I don't have enough time and it just, it's such a long process like with the deep. <laughs> With the deep, I ended up removing over sixty thousand words, um, oh my God. which is a lot of words. <laughs> exactly. Because yes. I wrote this book about a mother's club, Shelby. <laughs> for those who've read the deep, Shelby's a character. Originally, Shelby was the main character. She was a point of view character, <laughs> and I had to take her out. And it just was like, I was just like, man, I don't have time. I've still, yeah. uh, I just, I really envy people who can plot. Like Jane Harper, she plots. I envy that. I. I yeah. I wish I could do that and I'm just starting to – I'm learning to be okay with the fact that I, I can't plot and that's okay. Um, I'm just going to waste a lot of time going down a lot of rabbit holes but at least at the end of the day um, my readers are giving me a great response and that's all I could ask for. Mm. Oh, boy. Um, and so uh, now are you still working four days a week? How, what's the situation at the moment? So how much time are you spending on your writing now that you're – especially when you're knee-deep in book three? So my, my current setup is I work three days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I – sorry, yeah, I work three days a week in my day job in the drug and alcohol sector and then I write for the rest of the week. Right. Yeah. What was the most challenging thing about writing The Deep? Expectation. <gasps> oh, the the sophomore act. Yeah. yeah right. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, like second book syndrome, mm. especially yes. because, I mean, to date, um, The Bluffs has been nominated Book of the Year five times, like in five separate awards in five separate categories. Amazing. Which is it's off its head. Like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't <laughs> I can say that out loud and I don't I don't believe it. It doesn't feel real. But 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 to kind of have that to go for ten years of rejections. Yeah. One your debut be this phenomenal best selling success in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. Then to suddenly have all eyes on you saying, Wow, what a debut. Can't wait to see what he writes next. It's mm. it's it's both the best possible problem to have. It's the best thing to happen, but also it brings its own challenges. Mm. Tell me about those challenges. Like what level of pressure and what level of, you know, just stressful to crippling are you at? Yeah, look, it, it got to the stage where I just resigned myself to the fact that this would be, the deep would be a letdown. Um, I was what? convinced. What? Yeah. Resign yourself to that fact. Because I just I I didn't think I had enough time, but I wanted to meet the publishing deadline because I wanted to. My goal was to do a book a year. I really wanted yeah. to do that for my readers. I thought, yep, mm. we're going to do a book a year, guys. We can do this. Mm. The the deep was out there. I'd done all this work on it. I'd seen it from the start to the end. It had kind of changed so many times, and I just kept looking at the bluffs, thinking, man, this took me. I mean, this was, I think, like a, almost a three-year process at the end once we finally, you know, from the moment I started writing it to the moment it was on the shelves. Mm. Whereas The Deep was like, what, a year, two years? And, and half of that was The Bluffs. So the, the simple time constraint, keeping in mind that I can't plot, all I can do is seem to <laughs> fill in the gaps when I've got time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like convinced. And, and something I did to mitigate the expectation was I made The Deep as different from The Bluffs as possible while keeping the same experience. Um, mm. And so I was like, I don't know if my readers are going to like this. You know, this the, the Bluffs is quite got a lot of feminine energy to it, whereas The Deep is very masculine. I don't, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think this is going to land. And then <laughs> to kind of release it, and, and so far the feedback has nearly unanimously been love The Bluffs but love mm. The Deep even more. Like it's just mm, <laughs> like I'm, I, mm. I think I, I think I pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> what was the most rewarding thing about writing the de- about the sorry about the process of writing the deep? So don't tell me you know it was rewarding to finish it. <laughs> no, the, the most rewarding thing about the process, I think, was when I wrote my first ten manuscripts and the, the bluffs. I was hidden in the fact that none of my friends knew this was my secret ambition. Um, oh, I didn't, really? Yeah, no, I kept it very close to my chest. Wow. Um, to the point that when I told one of my best friends, one day we're in the car and I opened up and I said, well, look, actually, secretly I've been writing young adult fantasy books and this is what I want to do with my life. Oh, he, wow. was, he said, oh, I'm so relieved, Kyle. And I'm like, why are you relieved? And he said, I thought you had no ambition. Like, like <laughs> I thought you had no goals. You're not that interested in your job. You've got no interest in further study. You're just happy plodding along, which doesn't seem like you. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, no, no, no. I'm, I want to be a writer. I've, been, I've wanted to be a writer since the moment I knew what a writer was. You know, this is, this is my, this is what makes me come alive. This is why I was put on the planet. And so I'd never shared that widely. 
And when I got the publishing contract for The Bluffs, I put it on my Facebook and I had all these people say, what? Since when has this been a thing? Like people close to me, close friends. Yes. So the rewarding part about writing The Deep was that I could be open about it with people. I could say, sorry, I can't come out for coffee because I'm writing today. Or I could put on my Facebook and say, hey, guys, I need some ideas about this. Help me brainstorm. Or I could say, hey, I'm going for a trip down to Eagle Hawk Neck. Do you want to come with me for a road trip? Keep in mind I'm going to be taking lots of photos and writing stuff in my – like I couldn't – I felt I couldn't do that with the bluffs because I I was just so self-conscious about my, my, my goal. But tell me why. I mean, your closest friends, tell me why you felt that you couldn't admit this to them. I just felt like, I don't know if anyone else feels, feels this as a writer, but it felt, it felt like if, if I told people I wanted to be a writer, it's a little bit like someone saying they want to be a movie star in Hollywood. Like it's like people would be like, oh, that's nice. That's nice, Kyle. Like, let me know how it goes. Mm-hmm. And and even though that would have been fine, I just I just felt that this is so important to me. I don't want to trust it with anyone else. Um, and and again, this started from you know this. I got into this habit from an early age. Like all through high school, I didn't tell a soul because mm-hmm. you know high school is pretty brutal. It's not the kind of thing. I mean, I was ducks at my school. Like there were people expected me to go off and you know, do other things. Mm. And so I, I felt like I was letting teachers down, letting other people down if I admitted I actually want to be a writer. Mm. And so I just I just kind of held on to that process through my adulthood. Um, right, I just became second nature just to hide it and not tell anyone what I was doing. Wow, fascinating. So is that book three set in Tasmania? Yes, book three See, is. Seriously, not this much happens in Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it will be riveting just as the other two books are. Oh my god. Uh, oh I'll dear. Ta- it's a good question though. I don't know whether I should Yeah, I don't I don't know about book four. I know book three is no, in Tassie. It oh. obviously captures people's imagination because um, these stories are very, very, you know, um, well-received and very, very popular. Um, so, okay, you've obviously come to terms now with the fact that you can say that you're a writer. <laughs> so, therefore, what would um, your top three tips be for aspiring writers who hope to be in a position where you are one day? Okay. Okay, so I'm going to tell you my top three tips mm-hmm. um, uh, for being a writer. And these, I, I swear by these tips. Um, I will, I will, will preach these tips from the rooftop. The mm-hmm. first is um, get focus on your sleep. On your sleep. On your sleep. Okay. When when you are sleeping, when you get good sleep. Um, your brain does all this amazing stuff, especially in dream sleep, in REM sleep, and your creativity is is hindered if you don't get enough sleep, if you don't prioritize sleep, if you don't have good health um, sleep hygiene. Wow. I notice that if I am not looking after my sleep, my writing just kind of falls apart like threads, and I don't think enough creatives are encouraged to prioritize their sleep because we're, we're kind of taught, all right, 
um, get out there and, and just hustle. Whereas in reality, mm. if you sleep, I guarantee you'll see greater in output. Wow, no one's ever said that before. So that's unique. <laughs> Great. Well, mm-hmm. well, the next tip is pretty similar, which is eat well because your stomach is like a second brain. Um, mm. Your stomach is, is your fuel. And, and writing is a physical thing. It's actually, it doesn't come just from your fingertips and your head. It comes from your whole body. It comes from what you hear during the day, what you see, what you smell, what you engage with. And if you're not feeding yourself with good stuff, then your body is sluggish, which means your writing tool at the very start is sluggish. It means that you are not going to be able to give your best on the page. And the third, pretty similar, is exercise. Wow. (laughs) If you do not exercise, your writing will never be as good as if you were exercising. And I, I don't mean go hectic. I don't mean, you know, you don't have to put on a bunch of kilos of muscle. But I promise you, if you get out there and exercise, you're going to see a massive improvement to the way your brain functions, to the way that your emotions work. You're going to be able to see things you hadn't seen before. There's going to be less blind spots. Um, you're going to respond to the regular the rhythms of your book in a, such a better way and it just what all these three tips sleep nutrition um exercise what they do as well is they help your mental health anyway mm. so what what writers um i feel just really like i want so many writers to understand that 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 writing is engaging your physical body and your emotions and your mental health and if you look after them first if you prioritize them you see like a massive output in your creativity and your writing. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. I absolutely love those tips. Absolutely fantastic. So some really good truth bombs there. And, of course, the very important one is that if you ever need some green, just get into a cab and ask the taxi driver <laughs> if he knows where to get some. <laughs> but call you ahead it or they're going to answer with a bow and arrow. That's so right. make sure they know you're coming. all right fantastic congratulations on the deep kyle and thank you so much for your time today thank you so much valerie it's been absolute pleasure there we go kyle perry i have to say that australian crime novels are really having a moment in the sun at the moment don't you think and i mean i I say that without any sort of dad jokery about it at all although you know (laughs) There could be one in there if we wanted. Um, but, yeah, I just think, like, we it's just such a, an amazing time for um, – for crime fiction coming out yeah, of Australia, I think it's amazing. Absolutely. I'm so I'm so excited that um, that our novelists are doing so well everywhere, absolutely. All over the place. Just mm. just brilliant, and so mm. good to see, and so good to see what's happening with Sarah Bailey and um, Candace Fox, and um, yeah, so many fantastic uh, books and authors doing great things. All right, anyway, we're now at the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week, Al? Uh, well, I really, I've seriously got to the point where I, that I have to actually get right into my edits because, you know, I've been talking about it for weeks now. And then I had that time where I was like, I can't really, I couldn't really concentrate and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But like the moment is upon me. You'll be pleased to hear that I've had my pencil out and I have been working, busily working my way through the entire manuscript. Um, and I'm feeling, I'm feeling better about it. I'm feeling more confident about it now. So, um, I think I'm ready to dive in and start, you know, moving the sand grains around in the hopes that a mm. sandcastle appears. 
Well, that's what I'm hoping for. We'll wait and see. Uh, what about yeah, you? Right. What are you going to be doing? What am I going to be doing? Oh, my goodness. I'm still getting to know my garden, believe it or not, you know, oh, buying still. power tools and things. Have you found any further stand-up paddle boards or bird cages buried? Um, yes. Oh, so not not stand up paddle boards uh, mm. or bird cages because they were already there, but we cut back. I can't remember if I told you. We cut back, um, you know, more stuff. Well, this pruning thing reveals a whole other worlds, and we found stairs to nowhere, oh. like m- multiple stairs to nowhere that oh. we did not know were there before. Obviously, when you say and stairs to nowhere, what they just go up to, into the wall or something, um, or down, or down. Yeah. Right. Weird, right? Mm. Uh, so we're trying to figure out maybe they went somewhere at some point. Okay. <laughs> but we found two two sets of stairs to nowhere so far. So this is just from cutting, like just cut, cut, cut and, you know. Printing's amazing. I love it. Oh, we, we, we actually managed to. We've got this massive, and like here we are back on Val and Al's gardening show. <laughs> um We've got this massive marae in our backyard, in our new gar- our new garden. Like it is huge mm-hmm. to the point where we have actually been able to get in, remove some of the lower branches under it and fit the trailer in there. So we've, oh put, we've parked the trailer under the marae oh uh, so that you can pract- you pretty much can't even see the trailer. It's got this oh, lovely great. little it's, – it's just like in this lovely little flower bower and there the trailer is. See, we have trailers in the country. This is what we do, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, wow. you need trailers. Got to have a trailer. We've got a ute and a trailer. <laughs> oh, my God. I That's know. what my partner dreams of. <laughs> I know, but you know what the trouble with that is if you have the ute and the trailer in the city, you just end up moving people like when they want to yes. move house. Oh. Whereas down here, it's just all about the green waste and the and the trip to the yep. tip. Yep, yep, yep. All right, that's the end of Valadell's Gardening Show. <laughs> where do we find you? Where do we find you online, Al? Well, look, if you're still with us after all that, uh, you will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at 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 Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.